If you uh, have your Bibles with you, Philippians 2 is a good spot to go to. Philippians 2. <sighs> I want to I thank Doug for asking me to preach today. Doug is uh, the very well-dressed pirate captain right over there. He's had some eye surgery, and that's probably no fun at all. But he does get to wear a cool eye patch, so that makes him intimidating and cooler. So that's always, there's always a bright side, right? Look on the bright side. But thank you, Doug, for letting me preach this morning. My name is Nick. I'm the youth pastor, and I am very excited to bring a message to you today for lots of reasons. For one, I get to show off with my parents. My parents are here, and that's always cool. So I get to prove to them that I'm doing something worthwhile, so that's nice. Uh, so when I was growing up, I was, we grew up in a lot of Assemblies of God churches, and what was, there was this funny season that happened, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, some people have told me it actually kind of happened here, too. It's called the banner season. Yeah. There was this season where people brought banners to church, and during worship, they would pull these banners out, and they would begin to wave them. Sometimes they were just colorful pieces of cloth attached to a flagpole, like beautiful purple cloth or something, and they would just wave them around. I remember there was a time when I was at a church in, during this season, and there were at least 12 people running up and down the aisles, waving these banners, and every five seconds, a banner would just slap me right in the face, or cover me, or do something super annoying, and... I understand what they were doing. I get it. It probably held a lot of significance for some people. But for me, it had to be the most distracting season of worship ever. I couldn't do any. I couldn't sing when flags were waving in front of my face. All I wanted to do was watch the people running up and down the halls or waving their little flags. And sometimes they'd have words on them. It was just obnoxious. But I get it. I get what they were doing. I understand what they were doing. Banners have a lot of significance. They're, they're powerful images. Banners or, or flags or standards, however you want to call them, they are, they are powerful. And when used properly, they can turn the tide of, of a conflict, or they can be something that we look to for inspiration or strength or courage, or they can just be something that helps us to know where we're going in a difficult time. Flags and banners and standards, they have a great and wonderful purpose. One of my favorite memories, I don't know why I call it my favorite memory, but it just, I, I think about it a lot. When I grew up, I was growing up on military bases, and every day, I think it, Dad was at 5 o'clock, they would play the national anthem, and no matter what you were doing, you stopped, you got out of your car if you were driving, and you looked where a flag was, you put your hand over your heart, and you waited for the song to end. It didn't matter what you, we'd be in the middle of a baseball game in Little League, the, fl- the thing would go on, we stopped, we turned towards the flag, and we did the, the national anthem, and then we played on. That's impressive. And that can, that can really stir in you a, a true sense of belonging and a true sense of loyalty. And it meant something. You went to a movie on a military base. They always played the national anthem before the movie started. I remember one time, a, my mom probably remembers this, a, a, a woman got very angry with me because I didn't stand up. Now, I was an obnoxious, rebellious teenager and just didn't feel like it. But she got very angry. And it meant something to her that you stand up and you honor the banner, you honor the flag, you honor the sacrifice. 
One of my favorite movies is, is The Patriots, Mel Gibson's American Braveheart. It's really good. Um, and at the end of the movie, he's facing off with his greatest enemy that he's been fighting the whole movie. And this guy actually killed two of his sons. He's mad. And he's fighting this guy, and it looks like he's going to lose. And then finally he wins, and he kills the guy. But then he looks up, and he sees that his, his army is, is fleeing. They're surrendering. They're leaving. And he's like, nope, not, not, not after everything I just went through. Not after all of this. And he finds this dirty old tattered flag that his son had been making. And he picks up this flag, this banner. And he begins to charge forward. And people see the flag. And they turn around from their surrender. And they continue on towards the fight. Even though it didn't look like they were going to win. Even though it felt like it was time to quit. The standard, the banner moved forward. And they followed it. It's moving. There's something about a banner. There's something about a standard that holds some sort of significance and power that we may not be able to truly understand. God has a banner over us. And we have to fix our eyes on that banner and charge forward. But see, sometimes we unite under different banners. Sometimes we follow different ideas and we follow different loyalties And we go in opposite directions and we miss the fight. We miss what we were made to do. Our world is filled with people desperate for hope, for love, friendship, food, shelter, someone who cares. People desperate for anything. We can look to Aleppo. This is a quote from Human Rights Watch. People arrive to eastern Aleppo without anything at all. They walk long distances. Arrive to neighborhoods where people welcome them and offer them what they can. There's no water. The pipes have been targeted by the military and destroyed. Transportation is almost non-existent. People can only walk. We have no vehicles left to transport the injured. Some are being transported on vegetable carts. We no longer have time to report and count casualties as we did before, but now there's 30, 40, 50 bodies a day, and we're overwhelmed. The situation is difficult, unimaginably. Aleppo is in a disaster. In the South Sudan, thousands of civilians have been killed, often because of their ethnicity or perceived political alliances. An estimated 2 million people have been forced to flee their homes. In Chicago, the murder rate is out of control. They've already surpassed 500 murders this year. That's not 500 dead, 500 people who have been murdered. More than New York and Los Angeles combined. The city has not experienced a single day without a homicide since February last year. The murder rate is at a 20-year high. The majority of victims are young black men from a small number of neighborhoods in the city. In Collin County, Plano, McKinney, Frisco, there is a growing homeless population. Not enough services to help them. The Samaritan Inn, Collin County's largest homeless provider, had to turn away 3,569 people just last year. That's up from 2,600 the year before. This is a quote from a worker. I promise you that our caseworkers have a tear in their eye because they actually look the people in the face and watch moms walk out with their two kids and one in a stroller knowing they're going back to their car. 
Here in our country, there are currently 500,000 children in foster care. In the United States, it's estimated that 120,000 of those are eligible for adoption. There are over 400,000 churches in this country. If one person in every other, every third church, one person in every third church would stand up and say, I'll take one, every single one of those children would have a home. But sadly, each year, about 26,000 children age out of foster care without support, guidance, care, and love of a family. We have a banner over us that we have to follow. Let's look at Jesus. In this passage in Philippians, basically you could summarize it and say that Paul was telling these people, be like Jesus. What did Jesus ever do for himself? The disciples didn't serve Jesus. He didn't gather people around him to serve him. He served them. Anywhere he went, he gave himself away. He served and served and served, put others' needs far above his own. Did he ever act out of ambition? No. In fact, he often did the opposite. And when you read, and this would have bothered people, because when you read stories of Greek and Roman mythology, those gods that they would have been familiar with, those gods acted only out of ambition. They only did things to make themselves greater than the others, to achieve fame and praise. But Jesus came, as Philippians said, and emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Did he ever do anything specifically to just grow his following again? No. In fact, he often did the opposite. He's often seen dismissing crowds that would have followed him wherever he went. And in John 6, he teaches a very difficult lesson. And it says, after this, many disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. He wanted nothing to do with fame, money, personal gain of any kind. But instead, as it says here, became obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. And we look at the Christmas story, we can see a great act of humility. He entered our world humbly in a wooden box surrounded by filth. Most likely a far worse birth situation than any of us in this room. His parents then had to escape to a foreign country so he wouldn't be murdered. By the time he was 30, he was single, living with his mom and had no career to speak of. This was to be the king the Savior, the Messiah. Nobody would have expected what came next from him. They even asked when he started to do his work, isn't this that guy Jesus from Nazareth, the son of Joseph and Mary, who we know? But when it came to the results of his work, they could not deny it. So let's look at us. Are we ambitious? Are we serving our own interests, seeking to be filled rather than emptied? Are we living to be lifted up rather than brought low? Are we trying to bring heaven to others or just make sure that we get there? Is it more important that you get what you want than others get what they need? What banner are we following? When Martin Luther King moved to Chicago... 
He moved to Chicago to work with the inner city people, and there was a problem. They were living in terrible conditions. They were living in these rough neighborhoods and terrible tenements, and Martin Luther King had plenty of money and could have definitely afforded to have his family in a nice place outside the city and then go in and help people. But what he did is he moved into Chicago in a dirty, terrible tenement in the worst part of the building, the worst part of the neighborhood, and he brought his kids and his wife, and he lived there among them. Just in this city, there's a place called Project Transformation that we and the youth are partnering with. And they have this awesome opportunity for college students to go and work with them. And they live on almost nothing. They have to use food stamps. They have to live among the kids that they're serving. And they work with these kids. They get to know them. They live the life that they live so that they might love them well. All of these people were united under the same banner. And that banner is love. Our unity must come from love. Unity cannot come. Our unity that we need cannot come just from similar beliefs in baptism, worship style, or whatever. It cannot come from doctrine. For whatever we find unity with others, that is what we will try to bring to others. If our unity is based simply on similar preferences, likes and dislikes, that unity will only exist with others who like to do the stuff the way we do. This is how churches end up being torn down. People became united under the wrong banners. However, imagine with me if our unity was based on love for the people of this world. Authentic burning love for the hurting and the oppressed, the hungry, the poor, the helpless, the lost, the lonely, the least of these, the ones who can't and won't give anything back to you. If our unity is built on that love, there would be a pillar of fire in front of us, guiding us. There would be mountains moving out of our way. The sun would stop in its tracks if we asked it to. The waves would be calm at our request. Because we would be doing God's work on earth. In Song of Solomon 2.4, it says, Let him lead us to the banquet hall and let his banner over us be love. There will come a time when heaven will descend and we will live in unity and harmony with all and with God as our Father and our King and our everything. When everyone will bow down and every knee and every tongue will confess. But that time has not yet come. And we are surrounded by brokenness, by sadness, by hopelessness, by desperation. This world is calling out for help. And you see, the biggest lie that you can believe is that you are not full-time ministers of the gospel. The minute that that word was stripped from you and applied to people who get paid to oversee the work of the church was the minute that you were stripped of your obligation and honor to be a full-time gospel deliverer, minister of souls, herald of the good news of God's love. You are all ministers. We are all united under the same banner of love. If the band wants to come up, we're going to close out here in just a second. You see, the people in places like Aleppo, South Sudan, Chicago, and here in 
Collin County and all of America, they're not waiting on pastors. They're waiting on all of us to be united under a banner of love, charging out of these doors, following that tall, waving standard into battle. His banner over us is love. Let's fix our eyes on that banner and charge out. God, you are our king. You are the leader of this movement, this thing that you started so many years ago. And here we are, that thousands of years away from that moment when you stepped onto the scene. And we want to follow your banner. We want your standard to lead us out to love and serve and give, to pour ourselves out as you did, to empty ourselves rather than fill ourselves up. God, we want to put the needs of others beyond our own. We want to live as you did, sold out, committed for the work of the gospel, delivering your good news with love and serving and meeting needs. God, light fires under each and every one of us. Put a burning need in our heart to give ourselves away, to hold nothing back, to look around us and see where can I serve, where can I give, how can I empty myself for those around us. God, we love you and we need you. And God, as we sing this last song together, just ask that during that time you would stir our hearts, stir our affections toward you, fix our eyes on you. And as we leave this place, let your banner go forward as we follow it into a place that needs so many things. This world is broken and you've given us the tools to fix it. Stir our hearts toward that end. Amen.